Lord, thank you. Thank you for the sacrifice that your son made for us. Thank you for the church that you birthed, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and Lord, a promise that there's a day coming when your son will return. Lord, may it be today. <laughs> but if not, if your son should tarry, we pray that we are found faithful servants of you. Guide us as we go to the text this morning. Thank you as well for your word which guides us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 5, Exodus 5. The last couple weeks, we have been studying Moses' encounter with the Lord via a burning bush. <laughs> and in an interesting set of affairs, you have the fugitive of the law meeting the lawgiver, God. And three times, God commissions Moses in these two chapters. And five times, in a set of objections, Moses will say, ah, I'm not sure about this. Who are you? Who am I? You gotta be kidding. All of that's raised with Moses. And yet, by the end of this discourse in three and four, Moses seems to get it. I, 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 he's, ah, all right, fine. This is, we see this shift in the attitude and you see this in chapter five. So if you would, let's look at Exodus five, verse one. It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, release my people so that they may hold a pilgrim feast to me in the desert. <laughs> One of my friends who's Israeli, he says, yeah, they tried to kill us, they didn't, let's go eat, is the, the motto of the Israelis. Uh, another festival, here it is, right? But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I mean, after all, I am God, according to the Egyptians, the son of Ra. You gotta be kidding, right? Who is the Lord that I should obey him releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord, and I will not release Israel. And they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go a three-day journey into the desert so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God so that, and Moses adds this little line, he does not strike us with a plague or the sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you cause the people to refrain from their work? Return to your labor. Pharaoh was thinking, or says, the people of the land are now many, and you are going to give them rest from their labor? It's the same term, by the way, the concept of Sabbath. It's very interesting. I wish we had time to develop that, but this is what God is wanting for his people. That same day, Pharaoh commanded the slave masters and the foremen who were under the people, there's kind of a two-tier leadership here, you must no longer give straw to the people for making blocks as before. Let them go and collect straw for themselves, but you must require them of the same quota of bricks that they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackards. <laughs> that is why they're crying. Let us sac go sacrifice to our God. Let the work be harder for the men so they will keep to it and pay no attention, and watch this, to lying words. He's doing everything he can, Pharaoh is, to discredit this Moses before the people. 
And he accomplishes it, by the way, by the end of chapter five. So the slave masters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people. Thus saith Pharaoh, I'm not giving you straw. And, and on it goes with the instructions and the Israelite foremen repeat what is stated and even ask in verse 14, why did you not complete your requirement for brick making as you did in the past, both yesterday and today? And verse 15, the Israelite foreman went and cried out to Pharaoh. I said, why are you treating your servants this way? No straw is given to your servants, but we are told to make bricks. Your servants are even being beaten for, the, for this fault is with your people. It was difficult enough making all these bricks. Now you're not giving us the materials to make the bricks. This is an, it's an impossible task. I notice Pharaoh's response. You are slackers, slackers. This is why you're saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. He keeps bringing this up. Did you catch this? So now, get back to work. You will not be given straw. You must produce your quota of bricks. The Israelites' foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told this. You must not reduce the daily quota of your bricks. That's repeated six times in the text. It's grave. It's serious. And when they went out from Pharaoh, they encountered Moses and Aaron standing there, watch this, and they said to them, may the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the opinion of Pharaoh, in the opinion of his servants, so that you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You said God has a sword? The sword is Pharaoh's and it's killing us. It, 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 this, this turn of events is very intriguing. Cusado, a former professor of Bible at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, and his commentary on Exodus makes a very interesting point in chapter 5 as you go into this passage. He states, Moses and Aaron came on their own initiative. Failing to wait for the Lord's instructions, they spoke in haste and printed the, presented themselves before Pharaoh proudly. No, no, I'm not sure I agree with that. But as the more I study it, it's very clear. In fact, if you look at what God told Moses back in chapter 3, 18, in fact, if you want, you can flip back and look at this, 3, 18. Listen to what God says to Moses versus what Moses told Pharaoh. God says to Moses, they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, the Lord, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go for a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Did you note the differences? And this is where I think Casado is correct. First of all, God said, you're to go with the elders. Did you see elders in chapter five? They're gone. It's just Moses and Aaron. Secondly, in this de deliverance, Moses states that the, the, the God of Israel, the Lord told Moses, you're to say the God of the Hebrews. Keep this as a people, not a nation against a nation. Moses doesn't mention the three-day journey in the first appearance before Pharaoh. He will, uh, we'll see this in a second, in the second request. And... Moses forgets to say please. In fact, instead of a request, it's an imperative, it's a command. He says, send us away. You must do this. <laughs> One commentator writes, the difference between the two, that is 318 and five, uh, one and two, is very obvious. 
God's language is courteous and it's diplomatic. Moses' language is abrasive, in-your-face confrontation. The danger of any ministry, and I've seen it time and time again, or opportunities to be used by God is to think that this is an LLC. <laughs> it is not a partnership. One of the things that the elders, when we first met, we were discussing and praying about this church was this is not our ministry. This is the Lord's. We hold on to this very loosely. All that the Lord is doing in and through you is because of the gracious hand of the Lord allowing a creature to carry out the Creator's work. Sadly, Moses has the Barney Fife syndrome. Right? Ah, God's behind me. I got it. Got the bullet in the pocket. Here we go. Right? And you, you, even, you see this in Pharaoh's response. Now, notice what Pharaoh says. Who is the Lord? And the scholars debate. There's two ways to take this. Is he truly ignorant of this Lord of the Hebrews? Possibly. A second way is that this response is the Egyptian ruler truly is, is oblivious to the Lord, or it could be of arrogance. Either way, I think ultimate line is he does not know who this Lord is. He's been duped. And, and honestly, that is the bottom line of the book of Exodus, isn't it? The question that we're going to see time and time again and have already seen is, who is the Lord? Who's in charge here? Who has the right to demand worship? One commentator aptly writes, the critical issue to be settled in the book of Exodus is, nothing, is a nothingness of, than who is in charge, who has the authority over the people of Israel, ultimately over all nations and over all of creation. Is it the God of Israel or the God of the Egyptians? And we're going to see the plagues next week. I'm excited. Uh, we won't bring in a bunch of frogs, but we're going to go through. It, it's very intriguing. We're going to kind of take a, a bird's eye view of the plagues, but they're all linked with the Egyptian gods. And it's God saying, I'm in charge. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus when he's on earth and he performs the miracles. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> I'm the one in charge. And, and, and this is what God is going to do through the miracles. Well, Moses realizes he's blown it. And so you can see, I think in verse 3, he starts to soft pedal his request. It resembles much more what he was initially told to say in back in 3.18, but it's too late. He's already ticked off Pharaoh, hasn't he? And even in that, notice the last clause of verse 3, so that he does not strike a kiss with a plague. It's a veiled threat. I mean, come on, Moses, we know what you're saying to Pharaoh. Pharaoh picks it up. Uh, it's uh, Moses, uh, but he does bring up the three-day request, and we talked about this two weeks ago. Is, is God trying to be deceiving here? Uh, we know that in Egyptian culture that nations were given a three-day opportunity to uh, go worship or to take some time off, so that request isn't unusual, but I think this is deeper than this. This three-day request is a test to see if Pharaoh is going to respond to the Lord. The, the request is historically and culturally acceptable, but Pharaoh's response is completely irrational, isn't it? Absolutely not. 
And at the end of the day, the Exodus will demonstrate God is in charge. Israel was released, and in fact, that's the whole point of this, I think, of this whole passage. You weren't released, Israel, because Pharaoh all of a sudden was nicey-nicey. You weren't released because you had great diplomatic skills. In fact, you blew it already. <laughs> really? You just see the Lord. Moses, Moses, Moses. What did I just tell you? You know? I mean, how hard is it? I told you exactly what to say. I told you how it's going to be done. And you blew it. I'm really? Are you serious? And another, another way, though, the Lord is saying, yeah, I'm in charge. I don't care how you handle this. It, it, the exodus is a clear demonstration. That is why time and time again in the Psalms, there, there's a constant look to the exodus. Right? It's what, what God has done. Well, verses 4 and 5 is clear. The Pharaoh provides not the slightest hint of consideration, but absolute arrogance. And he tells them, now you're going to make bricks, that uh, the materials you're going to have to obtain. Mud, easy to find in Egypt. Good luck with straw, right? You know, there is a recipe for making mud bricks. I thought I would share it with you. Kids, you're going to love this. Here we go. You mix topsoil and water to create a thick mud. You add straw because that helps it not to crack. Uh, and, it, and it's great to, to hold it all together. But here's the kicker with this. If you're adding straw, you need to add a half a pound of straw for every cubic feet of mud. Knead the mud mixture with your bare feet for four days. That's really helpful. This, by the way, is the recipe. I'm just, this isn't all of a sudden they made little mud pies and stuck them out in the sun. Once it is fermented after four days of kneading, leave the mixture alone for a few more days. Knead the mixture again on the day you plan to form your mud bricks. Pour the mud bricks into molds and let them solidify for at least 20 minutes. Remove from the molds and deposit on a dry floor. Make sure there's straw to prevent the bricks from sticking to the floor itself. If it wasn't bad enough, you need straw to make the bricks. You're going to have to have straw in order that the mud bricks don't stick to the floor. And then after about a week, you can use the bricks. In other words, this is not an easy process. And we have plenty of evidence. Uh, I could take you to the tomb of thieves at Rachmaray. There on the, the frescoes on the wall show the whole process of making bricks. And by the way, that tomb is from the 1400s, the time of the Exodus. It shows, and it shows various people groups making bricks. 1450 is the approximate time of the tomb. And then you add working out in Egypt in the, the hot, the sun, in Voss's work, Bible Manners and Customs, he states, it does not take much imagination to conclude that the severe rigor imposed on the Hebrews resulted in many of them dying of dehydration, heat prostration, heat stroke, and the like. We were just in Scottsdale about three weeks ago. It was 118 one day. That's hot. But in Egypt, it's not a dry heat. I've never been so hot as I was in Egypt. It's it's hot, and they're working out, and now they have to find the straw. It couldn't get any worse. And we see that in their plight in verses 15 and 16. Look at this, 5, 15, and 16. Look what the text tells us. And the Israelite foreman went and cried. And by the way, you've got this tear. So you have the, the Egyptians who oversaw the project. Then you had some of the Hebrews that were the foremen. And they even go to Pharaoh, which 
they've been somewhat friendly with the Egyptians more than with the Hebrews, but they even go to Pharaoh and say, this can't be done. This is not good. Did you notice in their response in verses 15 and 16, they refer to themselves as what? Servants, three times. They have been so brainwashed all of these years, that's all they see themselves as, as slaves. <laughs> One commentator writes, the Israelites were so used to being in bondage that they could not think of themselves as anything but slaves. Seeking to be free, they went back to renegotiate the terms of their captivity. That's crazy! Can you imagine the colonists in 1779 decided, you know what, I think we need to get back with Britain. That wasn't a very good deal. I like the tea that they had. You'd say that's crazy. And yet, sadly, we as Christians can resemble the Israelites, can't we? Freed from sin, we, we, we come back to the Lord and we seek to negotiate with the Lord on particular areas of our life that we would like to cling to rather than basking in the freedom he so graciously gives us. It's the same mindset, isn't it? You, you see people who've professed Christ and they keep going back to the same sin. You go, you want to go, stop it? <laughs> I, really? Notice in verses 22 and 23 how Moses responds. Moses returns to the Lord and says, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? I told you not to send me. Right? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for the people, and you have certainly not rescued your people. That's what I'd do to Moses if I was God. That'd be it. We'll, we'll use Aaron now. You're done. Bye-bye. <laughs> One minute the Israelites are worshiping the Lord. The next they're cursing Moses. And Moses has found himself rejected once again by his own people, the very people he's supposed to lead. And did you see the accusations he levels against the Lord? First of all, Moses, part of this is your own fault. You did not listen to what the Lord told you to do. But notice what he says to God. I mean, in essence, you, you've brought trouble. You've not delivered like you said. You placed me in the middle of the mess, and I, I told you I didn't want to be involved. You should have never chosen me. I told you I wasn't the right person for the job. You should have listened to me about Pharaoh. I know these type of people. I lived with them, right? And you did not accomplish what you said you were going to do. When trouble comes, I mean, let's face it. Let's not get too, to be too hard on Moses, shall we? It makes us wonder if God knows what he's doing. When two plus two doesn't equal four, it's easy to fall into the same trap Moses does, and that is discontentment, unbelief, and impatience. We need to be careful deciding whether it's God's will by looking at how things are transpiring. I mean, after all, Moses, same question can be asked of us, are we God? <laughs> can you see the end? Do you even know what tonight holds? No, only God. That's why he told Moses, I am who I am. 
Instead of questioning Yahweh, Moses should have remembered the Lord's words in 319. The next statement in 318, we looked at 319, says, I know, however, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Why are you surprised, Moses? Really? I told you this was how it was going to transpire. Why are you shocked? And then the music starts. Look how the Lord responds to Moses. This is one of the most glorious texts, and I think in the book of Exodus, and it's verses one through eight. Then the Lord says to Moses, now, are you done, Moses? Thank you. Uh, he does not refute what Moses says. He doesn't interact with Moses, what he says. He says, now I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, that's what he said in 319, he will release them, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or we might render it El Shaddai. But my name, the Lord, I was not known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan in which they were living as resident aliens. I have also heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. I'm not clueless, Moses. I, I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from the hard labor they have imposed. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you to myself for a people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out from the, under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Did you catch that phrase? It's an inclusio. It's bookended. God responds to Moses and he says, I am the Lord, and he closes it with I am the Lord, and it's peppered throughout the text. This whole scene is Yahweh declaring, I am God. I will fulfill this. And we'll look at this in a minute, but there is an interesting phrase here. He says that, did you catch this? The patriarchs, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, but they, my name, the Lord, I was not known to them. You, you scratch your head, you go, whoa, whoa, what do you mean by that, Lord? <laughs> you know, you've revealed yourself in the book of Genesis time and time again to the Israelites. Scholars have debated this, but I, I think this is the real issue here. In Genesis 17 and Genesis 35, God reveals himself, and in both times he says, I am El Shaddai. He never says, I am Yahweh in the book of Genesis. What I think is going on here is God is saying, I am revealing more of myself. You're going to see things, experience things, be a part of a covenant that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never got to see. And by the way, church, <laughs> we have things that the patriarchs, Moses, the Israelites, longed to see. Did we not? We have a Savior who died for us. 
<laughs> we have in a permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit if we know Christ as our Savior. And so we see this continuing of revelation that's being unfolded right before their eyes. The Lord identifies three things about himself, if you're taking notes. First of all, he reveals that he himself uh, to the fathers. In other words, there's continuity. This isn't a new God here. The hope and assurances that you had in the past is seen here. It's the same God who blessed Abraham and gave him a son. It's the same God who provided Isaac a wife. Ooh. It's the same God who watched over Jacob in his dealings with Laban. Our God is the same, Hebrews 13 states, yesterday, today, and forever. The God who parts waters is the same God who can do a revival. Secondly, the Lord reveals that he made a covenant with the fathers. Not only has he revealed himself, but he made a covenant. It's repeated three times in this text, a covenant or a promise. And the third thing that the Lord reveals about himself is that he knows the current persecution of the Israelites. Three times the Lord says, I know the bondage or burdens they're undergoing. And he says, I'm going to redeem them. It is a loaded term. I wish we had time to develop it theologically, do some word study on this. This is the blood redeemer. It's the kinsman who will avenge the death of a relative. God, in other words, is going to punish those who have persecuted you. He will redeem. But God's not done. Not only does he reveal three things about himself, he reveals three things he's going to do attached and peppered through are seven verbs. I will do this, I will do this. First, he will deliver the Israelites. One commentator, Riken, in his eloquent treatise on Exodus states, even Pharaoh's hard-hearted refusal was part of the plan of salvation. <laughs> God was setting things up so that Pharaoh would not only let God's people go, but that he would help drive them out himself. The all-wise and all-powerful God is everything under control. Oh, Moses. Take a chill pill. God's in charge. He will deliver the Israelites. Secondly, he says he will become, I love this, their God. Pharaoh may not know me, but they will. And they're going to know me intimately. I am the great I am. I'm not just El Shaddai. I am the Holy One. And Third, he will give them the land of Canaan. Three times he repeats it in this section. The Lord's words did not reveal anything new to Moses. God already told Moses all of this back in chapter three, in chapter four, right? <laughs> God never offered Moses any further explanation, nor did the Lord attempt to justify himself. Moses simply needed to rehearse who God is and what God has done. Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and saying, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with this, all these stories of Moses, but boy, I can relate. <laughs> it, it seems that th this world is just spiraling out of control or my own world is spiraling out of the troll. And, and I'm not sure where God is in all the midst of this. I, I love these Jesus worshipers, but I, I'm not finding this. I'm, I'm struggling. All these promises that God has given, I, I'm not seeing them come to fruition. Where is he in all of this? 
then let me encourage you, run to the Lord. Do you know that Moses is the only biblical character that I know of in scripture that will go to God with two questions of why? Oh, you'll have characters in scripture who'll say why God is this. But Moses does a double whammy why, not just here, but three times in the book of Exodus. He never speaks ill of God, but he will go to the Lord with some very pointed questions. God, where are you in the midst of this? And so I challenge you, run to scripture, spend time talking to the Lord, and take some time reflecting on what the Lord has done for you. In all these cases, Moses runs to the Lord. And that leaves us, there's three principles there in your notes if you're following along. First of these is failure to acknowledge. I mean, you look at this whole scene here in chapter five and first part of six. Failure to acknowledge and honor the Lord will result in ultimately exalting oneself. Oh, Pharaoh might be the big dog at the trough. And Moses is a has-been fugitive of the law, etc. But do you realize they're very similar? Both suffer with the same problem, and that is they think they can operate apart from God. Both men are too big for their britches. And the danger for Christian and non-Christians is to think that we're independent of the Lord, that we can live apart from him. Moses learns it the hard way, and so does Pharaoh. The danger can also be for a country. And on this Independence Day, I think it's apropos that we be reminded that we are one nation under God. And sadly, this whole definition of separation of church and state is missed the point. <laughs> Historically, it referred to a division of labors between the church and the civil magistrates. However, it was understood that both the church and the state are under God's sovereignty. And they must bend their knee to him. R.C. Sproul writes, it is not merely that the state declares independence from the church, it also declares independence from God, and that is our problem today. And so we're rewriting creation. <laughs> we're rewriting life and when it's valuable and when it is not. And we presume ourselves to rule as autonomous. And we're no different than Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Who is this Lord? I don't know who the Lord is. <laughs> I am the Lord Almighty, God states. I am in charge. He is the one who is the Lord, the God Almighty. Secondly, in your notes, as followers of Christ, we need to ask the Lord to grant us patience in seeing God's big picture rather than complaining and arguing about his timetable. We need to allow the Lord to be the Lord. <laughs> we were on vacation coming back. We were supposed to come back Friday morning and I had it all mapped out. We were gonna leave at 6 a.m. It was marvelous. Two hours down the road at Starbucks time or Dunkin' Donuts and you just keep on going and plow it home and we'll be home in no time, right? It was great. Thursday night, late, why I waited, I don't know, but I'm gassing up the car and I look down at the front tire and there's this bulge coming out. There is no way I'm gonna take a family going 80 miles, well, 70 miles per hour, uh, <laughs> down the road and, you know, 
miles upon miles with a bulge in the front tire. That's dangerous. In fact, I even called a friend saying, is it advisable? He goes, don't even think about it. And, and so in my frustration, I'm going, this is crazy. We need to leave at six. Now I can't, it's nine o'clock at night. Why couldn't we have seen this before? You know, now I gotta find someone. Where, where are you gonna get tires? At this late hour, you can't. You gotta wait till the next morning. And the Lord used my wife and other people to remind me, you're not in charge. <laughs> God is. And isn't it great that God allowed you to see that bulge before we got on the road and you're going through the mountains and you have an accident? The Lord, the Lord is, he knows the road map, doesn't he? He knows if the tire is bad, whether the traffic jams are gonna reside, whether the hotels are full, or what storms, if any, lie ahead. He's in charge. I love the words of this Clarkson. He writes, oh, Father, you are sovereign in all affairs of men. No powers of death or darkness can thwart your perfect plan. All change and chance transcending supreme in time and space, you hold your trusting children secure in your embrace. You might be struggling with that this morning. Look to Moses. Look to God's response to Moses, for indeed he is the Lord, the God Almighty. <laughs> and then third, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same unchanging God we worship today. He is consistent, all-powerful, and faithful to his promises, just as he was to Moses. I mean, think about it. The God that miraculously saved Moses' life as a baby is the same God that rescued you from sin. The God that graciously provided for Moses as a teen is the same God that cares for you. The God that carefully equipped Moses in the desert of the Midianites when he didn't deserve it is the same God that is transforming you into the image of his son. The God that wisely led Moses in his encounter with Pharaoh is the same God that leads you by the still waters. The God that powerfully displayed his works through Moses is the same God that if you know Christ as your savior, empowers you with his spirit. The God that calmly assured Moses that he would succeed is the same God that has assured us of a life in glory. Why? He is the Lord. He is God Almighty. Father, what a text. <laughs> you see, once again, we as frail human beings struggling to be obedient, struggling because we, we, we don't want to trust. It, it's easy just to step out and try to do it our way and so often that's what leads us into trouble. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for loving enough to be intimately involved with us, your people. Lord, you know. Just as you knew those Israelites were suffering under bondage, you know. You, why? Because once again, you're seeking to display your glory. Father, may you do that through us. May you do that through this church, community, Bible fellowship, and may you do that in this land once again. We need to be people who are under God, 
understanding that it is all that we have is from your hand. May we not be like Pharaoh who says, who is this God? Or like Moses who says, ah, I got this. And winds up in a heap of mess. Thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are the great I am. Nothing thwarts you. Nothing will overpower you. Nothing will bankrupt you. You are the great I am. We thank you.